Hey everyone, this is Anna Firminov, and this is Modern Startup Marketing, a show that's shining a light on those startups that are taking their marketing efforts to the next level. And now to this episode. MJ Peters, thank you so much for coming on here. So excited to have you on the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. To introduce MJ, she is the VP of Marketing at Firetrace, and that is a startup that was founded way back in 2001. It actually got acquired by Halma PLC in 2015, so not too long ago, for $110 million. And it is about 75 people or so right now. On the funding side, the funding came from the founder as well as some private equity investment. And to give a little blurb about what is Firetrace, you provide fire suppression systems that keep businesses, people, and equipment safe by automatically detecting and suppressing fires, which is extremely important, obviously. So I I wanted to bring MJ on here because I love what you stand for. You're in a space where you're really challenging how industrial companies think about and do marketing. And so the way that I connected with MJ, I actually heard her speak during a webinar last month. And I really found her approach to be fascinating, her approach to marketing. It was different. It's outside the box. And especially in the industry that you're in, um, I found that to be awesome. And so I wanted to bring you on the show. The other thing I wanted to quickly mention, which is on your LinkedIn profile that kind of introduces you is you told the board of a company to develop a fire detector for dog owners. And then a year later, you pitched an audience of 60 senior execs on an Internet of Things sensor for live fish transport. And the first thing, the thing you told the board, got you laughed out of the room. The second thing actually won your team first place and funding, $150,000 in funding. So clearly you've had some interesting stories to tell and I can't wait to ask some questions and hear more. So thanks for coming on here. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the introduction and hopefully we can have some interesting conversations that people will get something out of. Awesome. Real quick on that, the team that won first place, what was that for? What was that funding that you got. Can you describe that a little bit more? Yeah. So you mentioned that Firetrace was acquired by Halma in 2015. And Halma is a $6 billion company that is made up of 50 10 to $100 million revenue companies all around the world. And so what Halma does to encourage innovation at the small company level is they run these innovation accelerator programs where the prize is if you have the best idea, they'll fund it on behalf of your company, which is sometimes really helpful because you might not have it in the budget of a small company to you know, make a big bet on innovation if you have other priorities that year. And so what we did was we found an interesting opportunity to combine the technology of other Halma company that I was working at the time, which was water quality sensors, with a company across the pond in England that was doing leak detection that was connected up to the cloud so that companies or utilities really, like the government, could analyze like where they had leaks in their whole water network. And so we said, if you can do that for leaks, you must be able to do it for water quality. And 
we took those two technologies, but we weren't sure what the market was going to be. But through talking to a bunch of customers in a bunch of different industries, we actually found a real need in the transportation of live fish because they have to truck these fish across the entire country. It was in Norway where we sold our first product. And the water quality is really important because otherwise these fish will die and they are used to groom other fish in fish farming applications. So you need to transport them from one place to another and keep them alive. So it was like a super niche market, but the customer demand was super strong and we were able to meet it instantly with our two technologies combining them. So the development time was super short. We brought it to market in five months and we turned that 150K in funding immediately into revenue and broke even within five months and then had this new product available. That's amazing. That is super cool. I think that story connects to how you think, how you think about things and how you're just trying to change the way that people do things and bring it to market. And so that's awesome. Very startup-ish of you. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get started with, with some of the stuff I want to cover. I ask this question to everybody. Everybody's got slightly different answers depending on where they're coming from, the context that they're working with. So what does marketing mean to you? Marketing to me is at a very basic level, connecting customers with products that will bring them value. And I think that can take a lot of different forms. So it might mean simplifying the way you talk about your products so that customers can see the benefit to them and so that you're simplifying something that might be technical down to a compelling customer value. It might mean reaching customers that have never heard of you before, that they can actually have the opportunity to benefit from your product when they wouldn't have otherwise. But equally, it could mean bringing information about what customers want and what they need from outside the organization in the market into your organization so that you can develop products that better meet customer needs. And I think that's where maybe my experience is a bit unique in terms of marketing because all of the organizations I've worked in, product actually sits within marketing. So new product development is a really big piece of what I do. Awesome. Thank you for that. And so I talked about the company a little bit. What's a quick pitch about Firetrace, who you're for, what problem you're solving? I did look on the website and see a really cool video. I think it was on the website where literally maybe it was a case study. Somebody's equipment caught on fire and because they had Firetrace, it was like quickly able to put it out and it's all caught on video. So... <laughs> Yeah, that was a CCTV footage from a machine shop. And anyone who hasn't had the chance to watch that, the machine literally bursts into a huge ball of flames and the guy runs across the shop. And by the time he gets to it, the fire's already out, which I think is the perfect visualization of our value proposition in four seconds. It's perfect. But our systems, they automatically detect and put out fires. And so most businesses, when you think about fire protection, you're thinking about either a sprinkler system or a fire extinguisher, which is a great solution for a place where you're pretty unlikely to have a fire. But a lot of businesses that we work actually are running equipment that could catch fire on a weekly basis or even as frequently as once a year. And if that's the case in your business, you don't want to put people in harm's way to have to use an extinguisher on a fire and you don't want to soak everything with a water sprinkler. So our systems solve that problem for that niche market where people really need extra protection. Well, it seems like you're in an industry where if people have these issues, you don't really have to convince them that they have a problem, right? 
Is that basically the idea? You don't have to do too much convincing if folks are experiencing fires on a weekly, monthly, or yearly basis? You know, you would be surprised when people think of fire protection, they often think I'm just going to check the box from a regulatory perspective. And our systems are almost never required from a regulatory perspective. So we have to do a decent amount of convincing because although it's very easy for people to see why fires are a problem, most people believe that it just won't happen to them. So that's where we have to convince people of the value proposition that they should proactively invest to mitigate this risk, then reactively deal with the consequences or hope it just doesn't happen. Gotcha. And so who you're for then is specific businesses, right? Is it large businesses, small businesses, kind of all over the place, but dependent on industry? Yeah, we're pretty industry focused, but within industries, we'll sell to small businesses all the way up to enterprise, which is a very interesting marketing challenge. But some of the industries that we're specifically catering to are the military, wind energy, so big wind turbines catch on fire pretty frequently. Also machine shops, which is basically small manufacturers of metal parts. Gotcha. Okay. So talking about your company, how are the different teams structured, especially marketing would be curious to hear because it seems like you're working with a lot of different clients. You've been around for a while. You kind of know the space. It is still, it's a 75 person company. So I'd love to hear how you break out the teams. Yeah, so within FireTrace, we have six teams, and those are marketing, sales, engineering, operations, which is manufacturing for the most part, and finance. And the marketing team has six people on it, including me. So I lead the marketing team as the VP of marketing. But as I mentioned earlier, product actually sits within marketing at FireTrace. So the way it's structured, which is Actually, something that I built, or I guess you could say rebuilt when I joined the company, is we've got two product marketing managers, and each of those product marketing managers is focused on specific end markets. So earlier, I mentioned wind energy, machining, and military. So I've got one product marketing manager who's in charge of wind energy, and I've got another product marketing manager that's in charge of machining and military. And those product marketers are focused on innovation, strategic partnerships, product positioning, messaging, and get pretty involved with the sales team on sales strategy just within their specific segments. I've got a product manager who's focused on life cycle management, which is really important in a manufacturing company because products become obsolete and you need to phase them out of production because you're like selling a physical material. So he manages a lot of that. And he also manages our product roadmap and makes sure that as projects move through our new product development pipeline, that they're meeting the stated customer needs, which he'll have to collaborate with the product marketing manager to make sure that he's fully understanding that. He's really the bridge between engineering operations and the customers. And then I've got one kind of jack-of-all-trades marketer who does both content and marketing operations. So she's creating as well as distributing content, which, as you can imagine, is a big role with a lot of hats. And then the last member of the team, but not least, is our designer, who basically owns the branding across external channels, but also internally. So she does quite a bit of work with regard to our culture and corporate social responsibility. Great. Looks like a really nice full team. 
curious about the two product marketing managers. That's really cool that you have that and they're focused on separate industries. Is that one of the big pieces that you changed there? Was there one before or can you talk through like what you're thinking to getting to and focusing on different industries? Yeah. So before I showed up, first of all, marketing wasn't as much of a priority in the organization. So the team was smaller. And before actually product management sat within engineering and product management was responsible for kind of doing that customer research to drive product innovation. But a lot of that customer research wasn't necessarily filtering back over into marketing because marketing was a separate department and product was sitting under engineering. And so the marketing department was a marketing director with kind of a trade show coordinator and a designer. And so they were very focused on traditional communications. And so when I came in, a big priority was to make marketing the organization that brings insight about the customer into the business. So to do that, we ended up kind of bringing product management under marketing. And for a while, it was kind of between both marketing and engineering. But more recently, we created that product manager position in charge of the life cycle and brought it fully under marketing. It was really a shift in the role of marketing within the organization from kind of a department that was solely focused on trade shows and sales enablement material to a department that is really helping to drive the strategy, drive forward segmentation and positioning, and then also building these digital and demand generation capabilities that make us look more like a startup and less like an old school manufacturing company. I love that. I want people to hear this. This is so good because you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't be surprised by how often head of marketing is brought in. And that's exactly what they're in charge of is the trade shows and the sales enablement. And that's what marketing does. And there's no underlying drive for them to understand customers and have that as part of the understanding for the entire company, for all of the different departments. So then who's actually driving that? I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe like it's the executive team, but they don't have time for that, right? They're focused on other things. So at some point, it's got to be, if it's a marketing-focused organization, it's got to be under marketing. Yeah. And I mean, I think people just think that having customer insight and bringing it into the organization and having it inform everything you do will just happen organically, even if it's nobody's job. And so they're reluctant to invest in it becoming a department's job and having a leader in charge of it who's then going to ask for resources to make it happen. But the truth of it is you, you have to make that bet or else it's just not going to happen organically, especially as you reach a scale of like, 30 people, 50 people, 75 people, like maybe everybody knows about the customer when you're a 10 person organization, but you'd be surprised how quickly that customer understanding starts to erode as you scale. Love it. This is perfect. Okay, so then let's jump into marketing that you've been up to. Clearly, you've revamped the team, you've revamped the focal points on what you guys are working on. What's been working well for you as of late? What channels? And maybe you can dive deeper. Maybe some of it is some of the stuff that I listened to you talk at the last webinar that I found really fascinating. Yeah, I think this is the perfect question to ask right after talking about the team structure. Because for us, different things work well in different segments which is why I think the product marketing structure where I've got two managers that are really just focused on one or two segments works really well 
for our organization. I know that other organizations have product marketing managers that focus on specific product lines rather than end segments. But I think for us, if we had one person in charge of that for specifically our flagship product line, it would just be more than one job. So that's why we went down the segmentation route. And just to bring that to life, when I say different things work well in different segments, when I'm talking about wind energy, for example, we're doing a ton of product marketing work to really refine our message and create content around that. So for example, our product marketing manager was on a call a couple of weeks ago with an insurance risk manager, an engineer that works in an insurance company. You can imagine that insurers are going to be pretty big stakeholders for a fire protection product. And just kind of doing this customer discovery work with this risk engineer surfaced a really interesting content opportunity. So he said, I'd like to know how big a turbine should be in order for me to protect it with a fire suppression system. And that's not how we would have thought about fire suppression systems at all. Like, why would you draw a line in the sand on a specific size of a wind turbine? But you need to let yourself be led by the customer. So we pivoted really quickly in that call and and we said, okay, well, you know, how are you thinking about that? And we asked a couple of questions and we realized that we had the information, the expertise within our organization to make a statement that is compelling about what size of turbine you should protect. And so we did some analysis internally. We ended up releasing this nine-page report on the ROI of protecting wind turbines by size, which is not how we would have thought about it, but we brought the product marketing through our demand gen. And then we distributed that on LinkedIn. And the reason that LinkedIn is working great for us for wind energy is because LinkedIn has tons of data and we can target like really niche people. So in wind, our whole audience is probably only 3000 people globally. And so we need to make sure we're targeting the right people and we're willing to pay the premium that you have to pay on LinkedIn to get that content in front of those people. So we ended up generating two opportunities off of that report that are both worth over a million dollars each in our pipeline and are already qualified by the sales managers. The other thing that's working super well in wind is we started working with a niche PR agency that only does wind. They only work on wind trade publications and wind PR, which has been awesome because in addition to writing and distributing press releases and having those relationships with the right contacts in the media, they just have contacts that they can introduce us from. And we're doing an interesting play with them in January where we're going to invite like eight stakeholders to a roundtable, private, invitation-only, closed roundtable. And we're going to record the whole thing, but people don't necessarily have to be on the record. So we're excited to see what kind of conversations come out of that and whether we'll be able to create some interesting content that we may not have thought of outside of kind of a roundtable environment leveraging just one-to-one conversations. That's super cool. So you said a couple of really interesting things, like with your product marketing manager, having that conversation, finding that nugget, using it to create the content and then get it out there through LinkedIn advertising, right? That you're uh-huh. essentially paying that that premium. And then the second thing you said, you're going to work with the PR agency to bring that roundtable group together and then have content from there. PR. How do you think about PR and leveraging PR? Because I think that this is something that startups struggle with. They think like PR, okay, we got to get some content out through PR Newswire and then point back to it and show that like we paid to be in PR Newswire and that's our PR. How do you think about PR and what do you recommend? 
I think of PR as a content channel. It's a channel for us just the same way that paid search or SEO or paid social is a channel. It's a way you can get your content in front of additional people. And that's why I think the PR Newswire approach would never work because PR Newswire is kind of mechanical, you know, it gets it out, but do you know whether the messaging is resonating? Can you get in the highest quality publications possible? So I think focusing on one or two niches for your PR will allow you to generate real relationships with the editors of those publications, which means that sometimes you pitch a piece of content and they say, this data is too old, or we'd like to take it a different direction, but we're still open to featuring this piece of content, which means that you have an opportunity to A, get feedback on your messaging, but B, get into publications that might just reject you if you were going through an automated system. So I think thinking of PR as a content channel that just allows you to reach people that you might not otherwise reach is a way that we've gotten the best bang for our buck out of PR. And, you know, some of the big opportunities we've been generating have come through that PR channel and paid social. Awesome. That's so interesting to hear. Who um, manages the PR? Would it be your jack of all trades person, the content creation and distribution? Who's actually the one that's managing that relationship? So, What I will do with my team is I definitely act like a player coach. So I like to experiment with new ideas. And so the way the PR thing kind of materialized is I saw a piece of work by the agency that we are currently working with that I was just super impressed by. So I opened the conversation with them, decided to go forward with like a four-month trial. And I was managing that. But once we decided to make it a real part of our marketing mix and kind of move it out of the experimentation phase and into the regular marketing mix. I brought in our jack of all trades kind of marketing ops and content manager. And I brought in the product marketer who is focused on wind. And so now those two plus myself are on kind of the weekly calls with the agency. Going forward, eventually I will probably step back from that relationship because it'll be at kind of full capacity. It'll be a regular run rate part of our marketing mix. And then I might move on to the next experiment. And I think that's just because I enjoy the experimentation piece. And my marketing ops manager is a really good compliment to me in that she really enjoys operationalizing things. So it's helpful in a small team for me to be able to jump in on some things, but to have a process for handing off experiments into kind of full-fledged marketing. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that structure and the fact that you bring your team in and kind of do it together and then you coach them on stuff when you're ready to hand off. That sounds like a win-win for everybody. How do you think about and do integrated marketing and creating systems and processes? What does that look like for you and your team? I think I'm probably going to start to sound like a broken record here, but (laughs) so... First, I will learn about the customer, what their needs are, what their challenges are, the way that they buy, and then work backwards from that to determine what the structure and the process needs to look like. So when I start a new marketing role, the first thing I will do is go out and try to talk to at least 10 customers in non-sales situations. And the reason that it's good to talk in non-sales situations is because you want to be able to ask a lot of super open-ended questions 
what are their job priorities? How is their industry changing? What aspects of the, their role right now are less than ideal or a challenge? And the answers actually might have nothing to do with your product, which will feel like a waste of time for salespeople. So you want to be in separate conversations to be able to have those open-ended conversations. And that it, it gives you context that's really invaluable, but it also helps you eventually zoom into a, a product-based conversation that is contextualized and you can pull out more interesting insights. And so I will do that myself. But actually, when I started at Firetrace, the first person I brought on was a product marketing person which I think is pretty uncommon. I think a lot of teams usually hire for like demand gen first and then hire product marketing later. But for me, it helped us accelerate our understanding of customers across multiple markets beyond what I could have done myself. And I don't like to make bets on demand gen until I understand the market where I'm trying to generate demand. So after I have that understanding, then I'll do kind of what I was talking about earlier with experimenting with different tactics. And I will do a lot of that myself because I am a generalist. My marketing ops and content person is also a generalist. You do sacrifice a bit when you're going with strictly generalists, but it does allow you to be flexible and experiment and pivot and kill stuff if you need to. And once you find out that a specific tactic that you're experimenting with works, then you move on to scale it, which might result in you hiring a specialist. To be honest, it hasn't resulted in us hiring a specialist yet at Firetrace. But if I was scaling a department quickly, I would focus on a few generalists and a few product marketers first, allow those people to experiment. And then if you needed a designer to really ramp something up or an SEO person to really ramp something up that was working on a small scale, then that's how I would hire for those more specialized positions. That makes sense. So when you were talking about using LinkedIn ads, you don't need a specialist yet. You're still sort of doing small scale experimentation or you're as generalists, you're just able to handle that thing. Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm glad you picked up on that. We actually outsource the media buying for our LinkedIn efforts, which has been huge for us because outsourcing kind of gives you access to specialists without having to pay a full specialist price premium and without having to commit to the long-term commitment of having an additional person on the team because agencies can be a little bit more flexible with how they work with you and for what period of time and what the arrangements are. That makes sense. Okay. So we talked a little bit about how you think about you're starting out doing that voice of the customer research, really understanding that, having your product marketing person do that. Then you think about demand gen. And then let's say you want to run a campaign. How do you make sure that the content person, like everybody's aligned and the content creation and distribution and whoever else needs to get like salespeople understand, like how do you kind of integrate it without within the company when you're thinking through, okay, what are we going to do this quarter? What are we going to push this quarter? We're going to have this report. That's what I mean by integrating your marketing across channels and across teams. Yeah, so Firetrace has a matrix structure for the whole business. So each marketer reports up to the head of marketing, which is me, and each salesperson reports up to the head of sales. But there are also segment teams that have a marketer, a couple of salespeople, an operations person, an engineering person. And those segment teams will basically own their segment strategy. And so on a quarterly or annual basis, the segment teams decide what their goals are going to be and work backwards from the goals to determine the activities. 
and the segment teams meet weekly. And so that matrix structure really bakes in the integration that you need. And so each week, the marketers will tell the segment team, this is what we're working on. So everybody always knows kind of what's going on our department as it relates to their specific segment. So it helps a lot. It's a lot of communication at times. It feels like a lot of meetings, but the trade-off is you get tons of internal buy-in and, and tons of knowledge across the company being shared. Yeah, I've been hearing that a lot is like, that's basically the only way to get alignment is to have these meetings. And whether you do them weekly, it sounds like you've got the weekly structure, it's consistent, everybody's up to date, you get the buy-in, you have to do that, even though people don't love meetings, a lot of meetings. (laughs) But if somebody can think of a better way... Yeah, no, you need to kind of strike that balance. You obviously want to give people time to work. But I don't think I've ever been in a company where everybody's like, yeah, our communication skills are great. (laughs) You know, so it tends to be better to over communicate. That's right. Okay, so we talked about a lot of great uh, nuggets here around um, what's working well in marketing, how you think about integrating marketing, the teams, the matrix structure you got in place, the communications that you've got going on. What are some of the challenges that you're facing as part of the marketing team? What are you really trying to figure out? I think the challenge that I struggle with the most on a day-to-day is just knowing when to kill something. Because I'm always having this internal debate in my head, like, is it not working because we haven't put enough into it or we haven't given it enough time or the execution isn't quite there? Or is it not working because it's just never going to work? And I think that's just so often a judgment call. So if I had a crystal ball that would tell me what I should kill and what I should keep trying on because eventually it's going to pay off, I would feel like the smartest marketer in the world. So then do you think your judgment's getting better? <coughs> how do you how have you like thought about when to kill something? What is that gut instinct that you need or that you've used before where you're like, yeah, we got to kill this. Like we can't keep going another month with doing the same thing. Honestly, I think one of the best indicators is what I would refer to as small data. And so everybody always talks about big data, which is all of your quantitative like pipeline metrics and click-through rate and whatever. Small data is looking at the comments section. You know, are these comments really relevant? Are they generating the right kind of conversation about your product or the issue you're trying to explore? Are they from the right people at the right level in the organization? And to me, one or two comments from the right people at the right organization that are just spot on is way more valuable than your best click-through rate in a month. Yeah. So you think about it as quality over quantity, right? You don't necessarily need to get tons of eyeballs on something as long as you get certain eyeballs that matter and get that engagement and get that reaction that's spot on. That's what you look for. Yeah. And I think that's especially going to be the case in companies like ours that sell super niche products. I could see a situation where you're selling more of a mass market product and you do need to go a bit more for quantity. But I think in a lot of B2B companies, you'd get a lot out of focusing on quality, especially while you're still scaling. 
Yeah, I can't think of a lot of startups that are mass or at least start off as mass, right? The impact that you have will be bigger if you are more focused, if you know who you're for, if your message is clear for them versus, right? They always say that if you're for everyone, then you're for no one. So I think that is basically the same thing that you're talking about here. I've heard this too when I talk to folks about figuring out when to keep going with a test, when to stop a test. How do we know that we should stop? So I think that this is a definitely a big challenge. And the fact that you mentioned this like small data thinking, it's really helpful. Let's talk about this year, even though I hate talking about this year. How has COVID affected your marketing strategy? And what has the year looked like for the team and for the company? And what do you think you'll do differently next year? So honestly, COVID hasn't impacted our strategy a ton, which I think is kind of crazy to say for a manufacturing company, because most manufacturing companies like Vents are 100% of their marketing strategy. But we started to do this hard pivot away from events. In some cases, just because I had personally never been able to connect the ROI back to events. And I personally never felt like there was high quality conversations coming out of them. So I wanted to take a big bet on digital. And then all of a sudden, the world was forced to take a big bet on digital. So if anything, it just made everyone around me more certain that what we were doing in digital was the right path. And I think eventually, we'll come back to a world where events are part of the marketing mix. But I don't know, maybe they'll never come back as strongly as they were before because people have seen that they can reach their customers and generate demand without necessarily attending every trade show. Firetrace, the year before I got there, I think went to 60 trade shows. Wow. For the last couple of years, we've been doing two or three. And obviously this year we've done none. Wow. That really is interesting though, that you did not have to pivot February, March. You were already in that mindset and, and doing the demand gen and the digital marketing away from the events. So then it didn't hurt as much for you. So then I imagine that you'll plan to do very similar things next year. (laughs) Do you guys think about doing virtual events or not so much? So I guess you could say what we're doing with our PR agency, which is still an experiment. You could call that a virtual event. That'll be our first experience with them other than, you know, your standard webinar. I think events are a major production, whether they're in person or virtual, they're a major production. So as a really small marketing team, you have to think so hard about whether that's where you want to place your bet because planning an event can take up like 100% of somebody's time for a whole quarter, right? I mean, for us, really, it's two marketers because we've got product marketers and we've got product managers as well on the team. That's a really big investment to make. And so I'd have to feel really sure that it was going to be a home run or have a chance at being a home run to want to invest in something like that, which makes it easier to step away from events. It's almost like I'm limiting my exposure to that particular marketing channel and I can experiment in a more scalable and small scale way across other digital channels. Something that we didn't talk about and I'd love to hear as I'm reading up a lot on social media and getting more involved in social media during this COVID time, you know, as part of the digital mix and then thinking about email marketing. How do you guys think about email? I know you didn't mention it as part of like the focus areas, what's been working well for you, but I'd love to hear how you think about email, how you think about sharing content over email, how the marketing team versus the sales team reaches out over email. Like, what do you guys do? 
Yeah, I think we probably are not best in class when it comes to email, but it's a key channel that we use when relating with our channel partners. So Firetrace needs to be installed by someone. So we have a sales channel that is also our relation arm of our business. So we don't in-house that. And a lot of our business does come through the channel. So it's not marketing sourced. It's not sales sourced. It's it's channel sourced. And so we need to keep our brand top of mind with our channel. And we need to constantly be educating them about our products because sales reps at channel partner companies sell the products they're comfortable with. So I would say the biggest use we have for email is staying top of mind with, with our channel and making sure that they have the technical and marketing information that they need to succeed. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Great. So people always ask me like, hey, I'd love to hear more about the person that you're talking to, the guest. I've had folks ask me about this. Can you share something personal about yourself? Maybe something that you've learned this year or throughout your career? I know you're pretty passionate since it's on your LinkedIn about being like a player coach, having that mentality and the kind of manager, you're the kind of manager you wish you had (laughs) when you were rolling up to folks. So maybe something about you that'll help connect you to the audience. Yeah. So I feel very fortunate to have started my career in a rotation program. So Halma has a great rotation program. It's what I would describe as the best first job ever for a college grad. And you get to do six-month projects in different Halma companies for a period of two years. So I did four projects and I lived in Idaho and then I lived in California and then I lived in China and then I lived in the UK. I got to work in manufacturing and new product development and product marketing and product management. And I think that gave me such an incredible holistic view of the business, but it also taught me how to actually get something done in six months. So I think that's part of the reason I have a startup mentality in what is kind of an old school industry and a pretty mature business launched in 2001. And I would recommend that to anyone starting out in their career because you can really get your hands dirty and really try a lot of things. But also as you progress up into the executive level, you understand what the priorities of the other leaders in the business are because you've worked in those departments before. That makes so much sense. So now I understand your story and how you're able to get that like generalist mindset from working in those different departments. And then you don't have to really wonder, well, what is this person supposed to do? Well, what is that person doing? And how is it related to what I'm doing? You actually were in that role, which I don't think a lot of people have that opportunity. So that the idea of a rotational program, that's awesome that you were able to experience that. Yeah, I... Don't know why they picked me. <laughs> I think the additional programs are are pretty competitive to get into. But if anybody is listening to this who is a college student or the parent of a college student, if you can get into one of them, it's a fantastic way to start your career. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much, MJ, for sharing all the awesome things that you shared here I love your creative energy. I just like can tell that you're really excited about testing new things, being innovative. You're bringing that excitement and energy to an industry that I think does need to be shaken up a bit, like very many industries out there. 
So that startup mentality is really like what got me excited to bring you on here. So thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about your team and the marketing channels that are working for you guys and different experiments that you're thinking about and also challenges that you think about day to day. So thank you. We covered a lot and I appreciate it. And thanks for joining on a Friday afternoon. It's the end of the week. (laughs) Thanks so much, MJ. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping regularly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Anna Firminov, or visit my website, firminovmarketing.com.